I want to start by thanking Arya for questions during the week, um, which are really critical for me to um, understand what I um, understand what I succeeded what I succeeded in doing what I didn't. Um, usually, if I didn't if if people didn't understand something I said completely, uh, it means a I didn't explain it well, and b if I didn't explain it well, it usually means I didn't understand it. So Arya pushed me. I'm very glad, and this is my fourth try, I think, to answering the question. And we'll see if it's better. But I, I learned a lot each time trying to answer it. Um, so thank you. Okay. Um, so I want to do um, is uh, start with um, something of an introduction to Onah and Nekachtos, which I tried to introduce last week, but didn't really uh, explore. So I'm going to try and do it a little bit deeper. As background, then we're going to do what we usually do, which is start um, you know, one step back, or two steps back, one step forward, <laughs> but ending up like two steps back, three steps forward. I want to go through the sugya with that understanding again, and then take us uh, you know, take take us to the next step, stage of the Gemara, and um, we'll see how far we get um, this week. We don't. If we, I, I think we'll touch the end of the sugya this week, although I don't. It may take us two more weeks to get through the packet. Of course, I would have said that the first week, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> this is absolutely great. Okay, so yeah, I know. I finished eight thirty this week. I know that. Okay, um, so the first thing I just want to say is. A, the background thing is that I have used the word contracts in the course of this year. That's sloppy in the sense that it's not clear halacha has the mechanisms halacha uses to transform commitment into law is the same as what is called contract in contemporary Western law. Right? The convention is that halacha has kinyanim and not contracts. Um, and, right, and, the, and that the halachic legal commitment is not created solely by the existence of a state of agreement between the parties. Um, okay, like, like a, star is not, a star is a written thing which has legal existence, right? It's not, right, it's not, it's not like the contract is not embodied in the star. The star is the thing that creates the Kenyan. It's not just a recording of the state of, of, the state of mind if you happen to do it by... That hasn't mattered to us so much, and it may not matter to us in the future, but I want to use it just as a, because it may be important later, and just as background to recognize that to make categories seem familiar, so it's always easy to, to, right, to, right, to use to the analogies, but you have to be careful about them because every legal system has its own, uh, has its own internalities, which halacha, you know, the, the standard thing is that halacha has these things called kinyanim that are real. Uh, you know, that, you know that they generate, they have a halos, right? They, they land on things, and that's not the way uh, Western legal systems understand those things. Okay, so with that, let's talk about um, ona, because if we, t if we equate ona to laws about overcharging, so we won't really get ona. And ona is something that exists only in the halakhic universe, and so we have to understand it in its own terms, and then if you have, if you think there should, there should be a law against overcharging, and it should function in a certain way, so then maybe halacha ona is the way to do that in halacha, and maybe not. Right, and maybe there's a gap that opens, which we call something right, like taromen. So here's the thing about Ono. Ono has three different um, consequences. One consequence is only on the party who gets who derives excessive benefit, and that's a law. Right? You have violated the law of Lotonia. And you can imagine situations in which the only consequence is that you have a stain against your soul. Now, we saw that even that, it seems, that everybody thinks would generate more than a tar'omet, or at least that the Mishnah would not describe that 
as somebody else having a tromit against you? The Mishnah would say, it seems that the Achronim at least assume um, that that would be, right, that they would say you did something wrong, not that somebody has a taina against you. You could imagine disagreeing with that and saying that, no, right, the Mishnah is about what the other people's objection is, and, 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 and is what your situation is. But at least so far, everybody has assumed that if, there, that if there's a taromet, that means that there is no formal law against it. Okay, so now is one stage, right? Then is the second stage is, okay, you violated the Lotonia. So what happens to the gap? Yes, sorry. I guess, why do you have to say that they say that there's no law against it, right? They say that there's no recourse, but that's different. That, like saying that they have a taromet, to me sounds like saying they have no legal resource to recoup anything. I'm not sure that says anything about... Uh, good, right? So we could disagree with this, right? We haven't... So I far, we have... Sure why do you think that the Rishonim... So, good. I don't know... That, I have an Akron, right? I have an Akron, right, um, Rebel Yashiv, and I have, I'll have others who will say, obviously the case of the Gemara can't involve Ona, because if it involved Ona, and Rebel Yashiv says, even though the case, right, he says that even if the only consequence of Ona is the law, that he said explicitly, even if the only consequence of the of Ona is that you violate a law, the Gemara wouldn't call that terrible. Yeah. Right, now, I don't have anybody who disagrees with Rabbi Yashiv about that. We could say, no, the reason nobody asked Rabbi Yashiv's question about Ona before the 20th century is that they thought like you. Right, that the mission is fundamentally irrelevant. The mission has no interest in the, in the spiritual inner life of the perpetrator. His interest is only in the Right, in the recourse of the victims. Yes? But if it was talking about Ona, why would it focus on the Torahmet of the people who were affected if it's only the love against the, like, why did it focus on them, right? Saying that the Paulim have Torahmet in the case of Lotana, why didn't it say, if right, so you might, right, you, right, so you think that the Rebellion is right and Arya is wrong, right? That's a respectable position to take in Talmudic circles. <laughs> but on the other hand, here, who, who did the Lotana? Right, because right. it's not Good. the, the Balabais, because he said three, and then the other guy said four, but the Balabais is responsible for it. So who gets the love? Because the Balabais ultimately benefit. I guess it right. doesn't really Right, so it's also that that could either be a reason that the mission doesn't focus on it because it's, right, it's too complicated. Right, so we, right, we could put it back, though. Right? Those, are, those are exactly the right questions. Uh, right? That's exactly, those are exactly the right questions. Uh, there's one other one which I'm blanking on right now, but, but fundamentally, right, we, we understand what the structural issue is, right, whether, uh, whether, wh right, whether, whether it's the case, but you also have the, the I was going to say, you have, it, they said, less lach altimnatuv mibalav, right, why shouldn't they say less lach lotonim, right, right, that's the straightforward way of asking the question, right, that the Gemara, in one of the Okimtas, the Gemara, right, the one we're interested in right now, the Gemara quotes a Pasuk. It quotes, it doesn't, right, the Pasuk it quotes doesn't seem very relevant. There is, if there was a Pasuk that was really relevant, that it has the force, you did something other, why not say that instead of this wishy-washy thing of Altima Tomi Bala? Right, yes, sir? But Ona is only relevant, really, for the Akron, for the Rishonim, who read the, who add the Okimta, Okimta that we're talking about the case where there's a market value of four, Right, and they were hired for three. Right. If but there's an unclear market value, or if the, you know, there are those who work for both, right, then, then Ona wouldn't apply, but this, um, the Pasuk from Mishlai could still apply. So the problem we have fundamentally is that 
all the Rishonim who are explicit put in the Okimta where the, right, where the value is actually four and the workers only get three. And none of the Rishonim raised the question of Ano. Right, so we're, what we're doing is saying, then Rabbi Yashiv says, hang on a sec, what about Ano? And that forces us, right, that, that forces us to rethink the whole sugya. But it, either it forces us by saying, oh, they must all have a solution for Ona. Or it forces us to say, we must be misunderstanding Ona. Right? They must have an assumption about Ona. So we'll go through all that in a, in a few minutes. Right? But, that's, right, but that's, that's, those are exactly the right questions. Okay, so one level of Ona is addressed a lot. Second level of Ona is what happens to the overage? Right, the extra, somebody got extra value. Right, what happens to that? So, there's, right, so a second stage of Ona is we can do some combination of entitling the person who got less to demand the more and obligating the person who got more to give it back. Okay, that's the second stage, right? That the transaction stands, but that we, right, but that we uh, equalize the, the sides of the, right, the, sides of the, of, of the transaction. The third possibility is that we reverse the transaction. Again, it could be that we automatically reverse the transaction. It could be that we allow that we allow one or right, one or the other party. Right? It could be the victim, could be both parties to reverse the transaction at will. Okay, those are three different outcomes of um, of una. And um, right, conventionally, we say right that you know that there's a we set a bar. Anything below that bar is just allowed. Anything above that bar, the transaction, right, the transaction is cancel is reversible, and exactly at that bar, right, we, we the transaction stands, but we but we but we equalize the sides. Okay, that's why Ono is a weird thing. It's not a single thing, right? It's three. It, it, it has three it has three outcomes, and those three outcomes happen in different cases. Okay, what is true though is that you can't have any of the other implications unless you would have at least a lot. Right, Ono doesn't generate. It's not like there's this print, there are these principles about how halacha wants transactions to happen, and sometimes we say, oh, and you also violated the law. It's, right, it's a special halacha of ono that is superimposed on whatever you think the imamonos are, and only exists where this law of ono exists. Okay? Yes, exactly right. Okay, so now ono, to function, right, um, requires, right, the only kind of gap that is relevant to Ona is a gap between, I believe, now I could be wrong about this, but I'm going to teach this at this level, and if you find out I'm wrong, or if we find out I'm wrong, that's great. So I'm going to take this as a given. Ona, the only thing that's relevant to Ona is a discrepancy between the market price of the goods and what was received by the, per, by the other party. And that's the only thing that's relevant. Now, that can be, it can be, the, reason, the way it can happen is it could be that one or both parties, we don't care, right, we don't care about the intent, right, oh no, exists whether Shogig or Mezid, right, that's going to, right, we're going to assume that's all, that it has no outcome, there's no outcome difference between Shogig and Mezid, uh, and probably Onus also, but we're not going to, we don't, we don't need to handle that right now, so, right, so it means, right, let's say if I, if I don't know that the market for Diamond ring, right for that, for gold, right for gold right now is five hundred dollars an ounce, and I sell you gold at four hundred dollars an ounce. That's oh no. If I sell you a ring in the belief that right that it's a ten carat ring and it turns out to be a forty two carat ring, so then again I missed the objective value of right. There's a gap between what the market price for this is and what I got. That's the only thing that's relevant for oh no. 
there are lots of other reasons that I might make a right that I might make a uh, transaction. Uh, I might think a transaction is an error. For example, I might think that you know that I bought this I bought this because um, I thought it was red, but it turns out in the light that it's green. It doesn't match my house color. It's worthless to me because I bought it right. I don't care, but Ona doesn't care if it's worthless to you. Ona only cares if it's worthless on the market. I don't know. It's solely a relationship between the value of the good and the market value uh, of the good. And for now, we're gonna, we're, we will in a moment, but for now, we're not going to question the notion that there is such a thing as market value. And if you come up with a case where there's no market value, we'll tell you, well, where there's no market value, there's no Ona. Okay? It doesn't matter how much you were willing to pay for it either. That's irrelevant also. If you were willing to pay, right, if, right, if, if there's a particular thing, and you say, oh my good, that's the, you know, I've been looking to complete my set of those for the past, right, for the past, right, for the past 50 years. You come up with it, right, I, I, I would have paid anything, right, and you sell it to me for $10. If that's what the market price is, that's what the market price is. However, we determine a market price. Okay. Um, now, this can be, right, this has a, a two, uh, both a cool and a chumr in it, if you want to say. So the, um, the, right, we can, we, can, we can say that people have an obligations to check the market value, right? And that, right, so we can, right, we can, we can say, like, it's not, so the, the easiest way is Halakha usually puts in a statute of limitations on a claim of Ona. Because, say, if you engage in a transaction, right, the, the, the model they're talking about is, is gems, right? So as soon as you buy something, you should take it to a, right, to a gem, to a gem, to a jewelry analyst, whatever it is, and, and you have a 24-hour market day, you have a 24-hour uh, window to have it. And after that, we assume that you are mochil, whatever happened. Now, not clear that because you're mochil that the other person didn't violate the iser, but you no longer have a claim to return the overage or, or, or to cancel the transaction. Um, okay, so that's one way, right? It can be limited because we can impose a duty on you. It's limited to a very specific claim at objective value. On the other hand, if I can show that there was a discrepancy of sufficient size between the price of the between the price of the uh, between what I what I paid and what the market value is, I don't have to prove that I wouldn't that I, that I didn't pay it willingly. It doesn't matter if it was worth that to me. All right? If I can right, if I can show that I thought it was worth that I right, I paid sixty dollars, you charged me sixty dollars, and the market price was thirty dollars. It doesn't matter that it was worth six thousand dollars to me. Right? We have in the condition of oh no. Right? So there's a very right, there's no there's no right, there's no subjective claim and there's no need for subjective proof. Right? It's solely about the value of the thing. Okay. As opposed to uh Mekartot has a right which Mekartot only has one outcome which is reverse the transaction. Right, the parties can make a new agreement right, to charge a different price. But the previous transaction doesn't exist in a Mekartot. A Mekartot applies for any, right, for, any, for any reason at all in the past. Now, it can't be about the future, because I can't say I wouldn't have bought it if I had known this would happen. Right? In the future, that's a totally different um, mechanism. It's called a Daite Dehachi, and that's, we're, we're going dis to distinguish that entirely. But uh, it could be that, you know, that I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that um, I didn't realize that that uh, this color would clash. And, right, it's not wood clash; right? it always clash. I didn't realize my wife had redecorated the house while I was away. Whatever, all that could be grounds for a mekachtot. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't have to be objective at all. It can be entirely right. It can be about me in principle, but in practice, 
requires me to prove that nobody in my circumstance would engage in, would have engaged in this transaction. It has a very high barrier of proof. Right? The barrier of proof basically is the reasonable person barrier. Right? No reasonable person would have made the transaction if they had known everything. Right? If they know if they had known everything that I could have known. Right? That existed in the world then. Right? So there's a gap between. Onah and Mechathos, you can think of Onah as a kind of subset or extension of Mechathos, but that's not entirely right, because Mechathos covers a much broader frame of, right, frame, frame of, uh, of complaints, but on the other hand, it has a much higher standard of proof. Okay, right there, that's the, the, in a sense, Mechathos is subjective, but it requires your subjectivity, right, to prove about your subjectivity that nobody would make this decision. Whereas Mechatel is objectivity, it doesn't matter if, right, if, there are, right, if there are a bunch of reasons outside the market that people would pay for this, who cares? You don't have to prove that you're not one of those people. All you have to prove is that you were overcharged. Right? I don't know, as a market regulation mechanism as opposed to Mechatel's, which, which is a transaction regulation mechanism. Right, that, that might be another way, another way of framing it. Okay? Yes, Alicia? Oh, but uh, like, Onoa is, is something which is to write of. Pardon? Onoa is something which has, has a good text in the Torah? Uh, well, Ona is presented as an understanding as an understanding of the Torah. It, is, it has a verse, but the verse just says don't do this right, so we're, we still, he still needs Svarah to define it. Mechathos is a pure Svarah, so far as I know. Right, right? It is that Mechathos has to emerge from whatever we think a Mechach is. Right? And this isn't it. That's about, that's about all we can say from it. Right? There are no biblical examples of a Mechathos. That's correct. Um, okay, so now back to um, now back to our suga. Okay, so Rabbi Yashiv uh, asks the question. He says, "Look, we constructed a case. The case in the Gemara is that the the employer is willing to pay for, to pay four. The agent says three. The workers accept three. And Rabbi Yashiv says, "Why isn't this right? Why is why why did, why is why isn't this um, oh no?" Okay, so the first level answer is that ona doesn't apply to wage relationships. Right? It just doesn't apply, doesn't apply to wage relationships and discussion. Right? We can say that there's a that, right there's a you know some kind of hekish to karka. There's no ona by karka, right? For whatever reason, right? And so there's no ona by wages. Okay, so Rilyashir says you're right. There is such a position. However, he thinks that he can construct the position based on a ramban. Well, the Ramban says that when we say Eino Noah Bakarkos, that really means that there's no recourse, but there's still a love. And based on that position, he says, we can say the same thing is true by labor, by employer-employer relationships. And now I have my question again, assuming you reject Arya's counter-argument. Right, so Ryashiv says, right, I, I can't, right, Ryashiv introduces the question of Onah into the Sugya by saying that there is a category of ona. We understand where that category exists. Usually, it's too low, below the barrier. But here, we're above the barrier. But according to the Ramban, there are places where ona is above the is above that line, and nonetheless, is only a lot. Right? Obviously, if the workers had recourse, right, that would right, that would be a more extreme case. But we're not right, we're not talking about a case where the workers have recourse. Nobody says that. Okay, so he he constructs such a case. Okay, there's a second answer Valyashev could give. The second answer Valyashev could give is, we're talking about a case where the workers were aware of the market value. That would get rid of an also, right? 
thought you said it didn't. I thought you said Arnal only only depends on the objective. Good. Arnal only depends to right to right. That's the, the right. So that on, to claim Ona right or to violate Ona, it has to be an, right. It has to be an objective thing. But Ona is can be waived in advance. Right, the other right. If I know if I if I accept it subjectively, there's no Ona. I don't have to prove that I didn't accept it subjectively, right? Right? right. But right, there's a presumption that I didn't accept it. But if you, but if you can demonstrate, not that I would have accepted, not a hypothetical, not right, not a not a constructive acceptance, but an actual acceptance, right? That right. That I I said I know the market is this, and nonetheless I did. So that everybody agrees cancels or no. Okay, right. That's why I wasn't clear on. I think in the answer to you. But that's a verbal mechila, right? Here we don't see the. That's correct. We don't see it. We don't see it. So Rabbi Yashiv never gives that answer. But then how's there a hava mina not here? If, if everyone knows that the going wage is four here, then if they accepted three, how's there even a hava Exactly, right? So that would get rid of Rabbi Yashiv's question. If I just put that okimta in, there'd be no hava mina, and it'd be, right, it'd be early, right, the Gemara flows smoothly, and there's no issue. The interesting thing to me is that Rabbi Yashiv doesn't say that. Right, he, right, he raises the question of, right, in order to raise the question right, at all, Rabbi Yashiv has to assume that we are not, that in the case of the Gemara, the workers are unaware of the Shar. Right? Even though the Rift, right, the Rift and, the, right, and the line of Rishonim, the Rift through the Meiri all say that the, the actual Shar is four. And Rabbi Yashiv says the actual Shar is four and the, right, and the workers don't know that. Because if, if the workers know that, then he has no question. Okay, all right, so, right, so in order to raise the question, Rabbi Yashiv has to make that assumption. Now, what justifies Rabbi Yashiv making that assumption? So I'm going to hypothesize that what justifies Rabbi Yashiv making that assumption is that if the workers know the shar and make the agreement anyway, there shouldn't even be a tarot. Right, right, that's right, that, right, that's the way that's right. So Rabbi Yashiv's, so for Rishon to raise the question of no, he needs to go kimta that it's actually worth four, but that that right that right that the Rishonim will give him, and then right and then, right then he needs to say that Ona can apply to labor that he constructed himself, and then he needs to say and the workers must be right must not be aware of the shar, and why doesn't he just give that simple answer the workers are aware of the shar he must think that's wrong. Right, you must think that if the workers are aware of the shar that can't be the kimta because then there would be no tar omen at all because then what we have is. A freely negotiated contract with no information asymmetry, right? And so Rabbi Yashiv underlying the assumption Rabbi Yashiv is that apparently is that there should be no restriction on a right on on contract so long as all parties are equally right, are aware of the reality, right? That has to right that that, that has to be his claim. Okay, so in the end, Rabbi Yashiv says, "You're right." Right, I said he says I'm right. He says I'm right, and the Okimta of the Gemara. If you take my according to those Rishonim, right, who think that Ona does apply to labor cases, even though there's no recourse, the Okimta of the Gemara has to be reversed, and it has to be a case where the worth is where the, where the work is worth is worth three and not four. Okay, so we have to decide. Like how, you know, you can every stage of Eliyashiv's argument is right is challengeable. You can say no, I don't believe in that Ona applies to applies to labor. You can say, I believe that no applies to labor, and I don't think that would bother the Gemara because it's talking about the recourse of the, lab- of, of the employee and not about the, the guilt of the employer. And you can say, no, I think the Okimta is that they know. 
Right? But if you but if you if you reject all three of those assumptions, then Rebel Yashiv has a question, which means that you have a way of reading the sugya which is totally different than all the explicit Rishonim we have. And you have to decide methodologically, do you think that's okay, right, to hypothetically construct a reading of the Gemara that no Rishon says explicitly. Can you also say that the reason that there's no na is because the middleman who, who makes the deal doesn't, he's not the one who's, who's obtaining any of the benefit, right? So he can't be guilty of ona because he didn't receive any of the overcharge, and the Balabayat can't be guilty of ona because he didn't do anything. He didn't enter into this below market contract that was done on his behalf by the, by the middleman. So you could do that, but I might respond to you. I think I would respond to you, but right, they're saying he can't be guilty of deliberately violating ona, but he can be guilty of accidentally violating ona. That's what he did. Well, then, yeah, at the end of the day, he still paid them directly. Right, he paid them under market wages, and he got right. He got the benefit of, of their work. All right, so that's why I, I preface this by saying it doesn't matter whether it's Shogun or Maisie. All right, it's still right. It's it's still a no. Now you might respond, ah, but if it's Shogun, that's a much better reason to not mention it in the Mishnah. There's no korban, right? It's only a love. Right, so he violates under Shogun, right? So if he goes, to, right, if he goes. To a rabbi who's into assigning kaparos, he might get it right. He might, right, he might have to do a He might have to do, you know, to to do something as kapara. But right, but it doesn't really affect his soul either. Right, that's a fair counter as well. But if he's yeah. doing a love, is he still a shaliach? Is the is the person still a shaliach? Because he's a shaliach levaravera. So I think it'd be hard to say you know, because at the end of the day, what he's doing the love is by not paying. He could pay, right. The employer could pay for. It. Right? Say didn't, nothing the shliach did prevents him from adding, from adding dollar to the wages. I think that's probably not. Uh, okay. But I, I don't want to pretend that, right, that, I, you know, that I have constructed an obvious position in the Rishonim. Right? Maybe Rabbi Yashiv is, right, is just not a compelling argument right, for all these reasons. Okay. That what I tried to do um, thereafter, though, was... Um, yeah, so I tried to, um, um, okay, right, so, right, so, I, what I, so what I, what I tried to show is in the, in the Shure, um, in the, sorry, Pidchei, sorry, right, so there was a second issue, right, let's go in order of the Makar, right, we did the Pidchei Choshen, right, so the Pidchei Choshen said that, um, right, the question we saw in the Rishonim, right, why, why did the Shulayat do anything wrong, right, isn't it his, isn't it, isn't it his job, and he gave this fascinating answer, that it's not your job to negotiate um, below the shar. Right, so now the question about that we can ask is, it's not your job to negotiate below the shar. Does that mean it's not your job to negotiate below the shar when that would generate ona? Right, as Matt asked. Or does it mean it's not your job to negotiate below the shar even when the workers know? Right, that will change your understanding of what, right, of what, the, of what the answer to those Rishonim is. Right? Are they considering ona or are they not considering ona? Um, because it, it, you can you can understand a position which says that the limit the, right, the limit of an agent's responsibility is right is is on the part of the, right on the on the part of the employer. Right. So if I think ona applies, right, then I have a real right. We said like, why does he say Timna told me Bala this way as opposed to that way? And the answer is right that right that we could right we could explain it if we right if we say that there's that there really is ona. If there isn't, we still have a really hard time explaining what the what the agent did wrong, right? So he gave the Pinchas Kolshin quotes in the Sivos that says that uh, that the 
actually the person instructed that the the re really what the employer said was pay him up to that and then we said he said like what's the torment right and we had lots of trouble understanding what the torment was if you're just given negotiating right the right negotiating authority of course you get the best deal you can for your employer right so the right so th the the introduction of ona right might uh, might help us understand what the limit is but in the introduction of Anah has to again put, change the Okimta. So we have a second way of getting to the Okimta, right? The getting to the Okimta might actually help us. Eliyashu says it, does, it, it, takes, right, it, make, it makes it too strong for Taromet. Maybe we can say, no, it's really what creates the possibility of Taromet. Okay, but then the Shur, the, the Shur of David came along, and he, had, right, and he said, you know what? I don't need Revelyashu's. I mean, he, he didn't. He wasn't a dialogue of Yashiv, but I'm putting him in dialogue of Yashiv. I don't need really Yashiv's fancy construction of a specific shita. All I need to say is that the Mishnah talks about kablanus as a, and, and not just and not just polin, whatever those terms mean, um, right? But there's, there are two categories of labor, and the Mishnah he claims talks about both. And the Rambam says, right? So now, right, so now two categories of workers, and the Rambam says that Ona definitely applies to kablanus. So now I have a position that where I know it should definitely be relevant in the sugya. Right. So now I can still solve it by right. I can still solve it by saying right, that's what Rav David says that um, that right. He, he says explicitly it must be talking about a case where the workers know the shar. That's how we get rid of Ono. Right. So now we have a machloki between the shiur of David and Rav Yashiv about whether it's plausible to read the sugya in a, right in a way in which the workers. Where the, right, the workers know the, right, in which the workers know the shar. <clears throat> okay, right. So that's an under right, and that might be the same machloket as the two stages of the sugya. Right? Do we think that there's a right? Do we think that that there should be limits on contracts that way? And if we think there are limits, should those limits be defined by ona, or do we think there are other kinds of limits? Okay. Um, Right or, right or alternatively, right? We can, um, right? We can say that the solution is that we, the solution to the, for the Ramam is that the Ramam actually takes the Okim to Yashiv and says that the cases where the objective value is only three. Right. So we have right. Those are our t the two choices we have to keep. Right. Now we know there is a, right. Well, we have three choices. One is we could say, you know what, you're wrong. The Mishnah doesn't talk about Kedvanas, or you're wrong. The Ramam doesn't say Onah talks about Kedvanas. But those are going to be hard positions to take. Or we can say the okim to the sugi always has to be the workers know the shar. Or we can say that even though no Rishon ever mentioned the possibility the Mishnah is talking about a case where the shar was three, but it has to be true. Because otherwise there's no way to read the sugi. Okay, so what I'm, right, what I'm trying to do is set up a, a structure in your heads which is exactly parallel to the Gemara de Amos. Right, we have Iblais, right? Iblais Amos, there's never anyone you know in any case of in any case of labor wages, and we and we do whatever truth and we need to do that. Ibla Yisema, all the cases, the cases are one where the workers know the shar exactly. Ibla Yisema, the cases where the the cases where the workers actually get paid the shar. Right, and those right, that's that's the framework you put you put for that. Okay, is that structure reasonably clear to everybody? Okay, good. That's uh, this complicated, right? <laughs> to hold everything to hold everything in your head, right? Now we have to play that through each of the Okimbas and the Gemara, right? That it gets um, it gets challenging. Okay. Um, so now we have right, so now we sh we should now step back and ask a question. Why would Ona or apply or not apply to wages? 
Right? That's an underlying, right? there's underlying issues. Should there be Onoa by wages or not? Why would we, uh, why, would, why would we think that there, um, that there are, and if, the, and if there are such, um, such reasons, are they reasons that are specific to the context of labor and employees? Or are they general issues of, of the way we understand contracts? So what I want to point out now, and this is right, this is I think going to be grounds for, um, for a way of, of thinking about where the sugi is going as a whole, is that there are other, right, Ona reply, refers to specifically to an information asymmetry. Mekachtos refers specifically to a different kind of information asymmetry. But there are other kinds of asymmetries that apply, like power asymmetries. And we think about, right, we think, right, Ona may not be the right tool to, right, to, right, to control, right, to control circumstances where we're worried about power. And it's fundamentally, right, it might be that what, that when we're thinking about how to regulate a labor market, right, on, right, when, when we're trying to liberate a, to, to um, regulate a commercial market, so the right tool is something that generate that creates information symmetries, right? That's what a, right, a that's what a free, a free market in goods does, right? Everybody everybody knows what everything is worth, and that's how you make that's how you make the deal. But it could be that in a labor market, that's the wrong asymmetry to focus on. Actually, information is easy to share. The problem is that in certain markets, right, some parties have, right, some parties have the capacity to agglomerate more than others. Right, some people are dealing with enormous economic pressure. That right, is, right, one class of people is dealing with enormous economic pressure in the way that another class of people might not be. So saying that there's no no by labor might just mean that this is right, that this is the wrong tool. Or it might be that actually we have a commitment to freedom of labor, to freedom of contract and labor that is different than our commitment to freedom of right, to freedom of commercial transactions. Right, so we have pressures both ways. Right? There might be reasons to regulate in labor markets that don't apply generally, and there might be reasons to not regulate in labor markets that apply generally, and both of those might mean that Onel is the wrong tool. Yes, sir. Could it be that we just say that in a labor market that there is no that there is fundamentally no such thing as a market wage, right? That um, there's inherently uncertainty about what a market wage is in, in the labor economy. Um, well, it's hard to do that with the Gemara because the Gemara's Okimtas are right, right. Are well, assumed one of them is some people get paid three. So right, and so the, the halach is different in that case. But we have a right. The Gemara doesn't seem to believe that labor that. Right to believe in an, in, a, in a in a regular mar in a market where there's no value for lit. That's hard to that's hard to put into the Gemara, I think. Um, okay, All right. So that's that. I think is a is a deep um, is a deep underlying question, which will which it uh, right. So I started the whole sh the whole shear by talking about the structure of the parak, right. So even be, you know, so we're going to get to the structure of the sugya today, but just recognize we haven't got to the structure of the parak yet, and it might be that really addressing this question will require us to think. One, st one structure beyond where we get to today. Okay, but I wanted to, right, all that I wanted to now turn to the next riff, um, right? Uh, in Yomikur, I don't know, right, if the, it's followed. Uh, yeah, do I want to, um, yeah, I think I want to do that inst instead of the Choshuk Um Right, so it's the page after the Choshuk HaChemed. In your, in your list, right? our, our page numbers aren't exactly the same, so I don't know about them, but actually, the page before the Fushuk, page before the Fushuk, my apologies, yeah. Page 11. 
nine. It depends which printout you have, right? If you have my if you have my copy from last time, then it's nine. If you have Rabbi Chesson's copy, which has you know which went over a PDF, and went to eleven, right? It's the riff of Messiah. It's headline riff. Besechad of Messiah. Daf heim. Daf mem heim base. Here's what the riff says. Chazru zebze lo katani. Elohitu zebze equals the atu poli mahadadi. Okay, we all know that. It's the first line of the Gemara, right? That's what Jet. What started this whole conversation was, right, was the the claim of the Gemara that, right, we can't be talking about a case where they reneged on contracts. They have to be talking about a case, right, and it can't be direct employer employee really, right? That was all generated by that one line. Right, when the Mishnah said v'hitu it didn't mean chazru zedze. It meant this. So to which the Rish says about chazru zedze, but if in fact they right somebody right, reneged on a contract. As for example, the workers did not show up to do work, and in a case where the owner can't sue them for damages because he hasn't lost anything thereby, because there's no the work, right? Nothing happens by delaying the work. There's not even a taromet. Now it says elzeh, right? So there's no um, right. So, but the case he gives is not mutual. The case he gives is one way. The workers don't show up. But so we have to, but we have to imagine there's a case like that also where the employer says no work today, but the workers don't lose because right, some, right somebody else gives right somebody else gives them a job immediately. Okay, so there it says right that the opening line of the Gemara is not just a um, is not just a rejection of a reading of the Gemara. It's a rejection of the, of the halachic reading of the Gemara, right? That. You would have thought Chazru Zebazeh generates a taromet. No, the Gemara says there's no taromet in the case of Chaz, uh, in the case of Chazru Zebazeh. Following which the says, "V'yboyes hema ha'itana Chazru Chazru hitu karile v'yeshlan zel zeh taromet." So the Rish quotes a line of the Gemara we haven't seen yet, but it's the next line of the Gemara, and the Rish says no. Then the Gemara says, maybe, maybe the Mishnah really does mean Chazru, and there is a taromet in that case. Okay, Rakiv Eger says, Harif Kasav, Alo Chazru Bezeb is a lasus malacha, feel taromet in lem zelze, the Ibai say, Mahaitan Vishlan taromet, Lozachisi Lahabin, says Rakiv Eger. I don't know what's going on here. The Ma Baya Rif, Lamar de Pligi, Beit Lishnil in Hadin. Where does the Rif get the idea that there's a halachic difference right, between the two stages of the Gemara as to whether there is a taromet in the case of Chazru? Because according to the Rif, the right, the half of the Gemara, meaning all the Okimtas we have done so far, is based on a premise that there's no Taromit in the case of Chazru. Um, Okay, so Kiyager says, I don't understand what the Rif is doing. Right? What, what changes in the Gemara between the four Okimtas we have seen and the, the Okimtas that we're about, to see, that we're about to see is not anything substantive, it's just literary. But the Rif seems to think that it's substantive. Right? That is, right, that is Kiyager's reading of the Rif, which is not a bad reading of the Rif at all. Is that there is a substantive difference between the sugya, which applies to a case we haven't discussed yet, which is whether there's an issue of, of taromet in a case of chazur. Yes, sir. But if anything, the riffs 
reading that distinction seems backwards. I would have thought that you wouldn't have said that that if they if Hitizad said there's not even Tyromat, I would have thought Hitizad would be a case where then there's not only Tyromat but even a substantive claim. Okay, you could counter read the Rift that way. He doesn't read it that way. You could. It might right, depends on what okimtas you make, right? Because the Rift puts in the okimta that it says that it's not a davar aved, right? Change it to a davar aved, and there's more than a right? There's more than tarumet, right? So there is making a choice as to what the okimta is. I mean, that, that first thing in the Rift to me seems kind of weird, right? I mean, if we're willing to pull up this like altimna tumi balav as something to hang tarumet on, and don't you have things like lo yachel davaro and stuff like that? Why wouldn't you have a tarumet if you back out? Yes, okay. it's not a double rabbi, but I mean, you said you were going to do the job. You think it's a substantively weird hapamina, the Rift, that's yeah. Rift understanding city. Okay. So I would just want to point out, this is exactly the same, what the Rift is doing is exactly the same thing the Gemara itself does about Altimna Tovim Bawa. Uh, the Gemara first says that it has to be a case where the, right, where the, um, where the, where the agent over-promises, because <coughs> if the agent under-promises, it's suffered recovery, why would there be a tarumit? The Gemara, right, right, and then the la, right, and the Gemara's first three okimtas are all based on the idea that there can't be a case of taromit when the shliach when the shliach underpromises because that's sever bekavil, and the Gemara changes his mind and says altinatovim bala. Right, and the question that we ask is, when the Gemara changes its mind, is the Gemara changing its mind because there are two substantive opinions, one of which says that freedom of contract prevents taromit, and one of which says there can be taromit even in a freely agreed contract. Or is it just that the Gemara, right, the Gemara, that the Gemara needs to reject that Havamina in, or, right, in order to introduce the first three Okimtas? But it's not changing its mind. It wants to introduce all of them. The only way you can introduce the first three is by making this assumption. Now you're asking, so why didn't we introduce the other way around? Right? Why didn't we start off with the Altimna Tobi Balo thing, right? The same Altimna Tobi Balo, and then say, no, Iblai Zema, right, in that case, Sabra Bekavu. Right, so right, so that's how we get the question of what's what's the literary, what's the significance of the literary structure of the Gemara, and the same thing that we did in the Gemara is exactly what the Rift does here. Right, the Rift says right, the Rift says that just like the Gemara has to reject the right has to say suffer vikavil in order to get to the uh, right introduce the first three okimta, the Gemara also has to reject um, right the okimta of of Hitu equals Chazru in order to produce the whole, all four initial Okimtas. Now the question is, we at, the question that we asked is, when the Gemara says Savar Kavil, is it really taking a position? Or is it just making the assumption you need to make in order to get to that Okimta? And now Rekhi Vegar is challenging the Rif and saying, right, right, and saying, we're asking the same question about the Rif. When the Rif understands the Havmin of the Gemara that way, does he really mean to say, that there are two stages of the Gemara, one of which believes that, right, that there's no Taromit in the case of Khazra, one of which believes that there is a Taromit. Or is the Gemara just saying no, that that's how you structure the Gemara? Okay, so that's a, right, that's a huge structural question about, right, about how we view the interrelationships and the stages of the Gemara. Or, right, is there, the Lilkenstein's line used to be right, that you know, certain Havamidas have half-lives and some of them right, have short half-lives and some, certain Havamidas have long half-lives. Right, so the question is, does the Havamina, the Sabar Vekavil, is absolute? Does that have a long half-life? Does it actually turn into a Shita? And by the same token, does the claim there's no Tarumit by Chazur Zebezeh uh, right, turn into a real Shita? Now, the counterposition, if we went back like five pages, you'll see that there was a, um, 
there was the position of the the Ritva, I quoted. That's um, uh, how many? Um, that would be on page seven or nine, I guess. Right? There's the, the page which is headed by the previous riff on Daf Mem Vav. So there's a Chushi Ritva of Etzia which says Les Lach Al Tumah Tov Mibalav. The last line of that Ritva is V'Chol Hani Damridan Bishmaitin Hilchasaninhu. Right, everything, right, every, every, every case, right, every case quoted in, like in, in our sugya is halacha. Okay, what does that mean? What that means is he thinks that none of the okimtas require you to reject any of the others. Substantively, they might require you to reject each other literarily. They don't require you to reject them substantively. Right, just it's, it's not shot in the Mishnah. Okay, it's not shot in the Mishnah. So what? Okay, so that's right. So the underlying quest, right, which will change, which, right, which is going to affect everything, is right. How do you read the sequence of Ibayzemas? Do you read them as this, right, as we're arguing about shot in the Mishnah without shot in the Mishnah? If it's not shot in the Mishnah, then it's not halacha because why would it be halacha? Or who cares? Right, who cares whether it's shot in the Mishnah? Okay, that's the right, that's the big thing I want to right, hold in your heads as we go forward, right? Is right is do we care halachically what shot is in the Mishnah? Is that what this sugya is about at all? Uh, or alternatively, is the sugya about presenting as many cases as we can where there's tarumah? And then the question is right, how committed? Right, on the other hand, if it's not really based, if it, we don't really right, then maybe all of this is just speculation. There's no halach at all. Could be not. Is it reached on the Mishnah? But is is it a plausible shot? Could be right, right. Could be right, but that we reject the Havim. I mean, okay, right. That's the right. That's the uh, okay. So that's a big point I wanted to make. Right, is that all the right? That's a way of making all the structural questions I asked at the beginning. Right, and then, right. So I wanted to show. A, I asked you these questions. Right, those questions really affect how we understand the purpose of the sugya, which really affect the way we pasquin, and then show you that the questions we're asking. Are exactly the same questions as right as right as Rishonim and Achronim are asking, right? Because they're doing right because the dialogue Riff and Rikiv Eger are really doing the exact same thing as we right as we did about the thing. Right? So this is just a way to think about things when you have sugyas that are structured this way. And a general question, right? When you have a sugya about shot in the Mishnah, is the sugya about shot in the Mishnah or is the sugya about halacha? Not necessarily the same thing at all. Right? If you want, you can go to my academia page. I have a paper called the Hypothetical Mishnah, which I tried to show in another sugya. That the, the whole, you know, there's a sugya which is um, obviously not shot in the Mishnah, and so obviously the purpose of the sugya was not to tell you shot in the Mishnah. The purpose of the sugya was that there was an idea that had to be in Shas somewhere, and right, and right, and the whole goal was to make Shas an encyclopedia organized around the Mishnah. So in the same way you have a smachdut that organized all Torah Shmuel around Torah. You have the equivalent of a smachta, which are so good structured that way. You can decide if you find that compelling or not. Okay, in the remaining six minutes, let's go back to the Cheshuvi Chemed, which will. Um, the Cheshuvi Chemed, uh, we're not going to read it together, right? You can read it, right? we'll, maybe we'll read it next week, but I'll just tell you, it's a fun. Cheshuvi right? Chemed is Razvitsk with Zilberstein, so the thing you have to know is, apparently, and I think, I, I think and hope, very much hope that it's true, Cheshuvi uh, Chemed, all the questions are written himself. And. You know, I don't know how seriously to take the answers. <laughs> this is a debate. You know, my, my daughter, I, I think, gave a publisher here, 
about the Malachus um, Tanas, which is a 16th century work, and the question is, how serious do we take all the answers, or are we selling the answers written to amuse the students? Um, you know, to use Bradley's, I guess, I don't know how seriously to take the Fisher uh, as an alumnus work. Um, Slifkin recently attacked him because he had a chuva in which, in Cheshire in which he tells people that you're not mechuyev to wake up your children who are sleeping in, in, or sleeping in an unshielded room during missile attack because, uh, right, because God protects the innocent. Uh, one hopes that that was not really a chuva in <laughs> about what people should do when they're, right, when they're in a war zone and their children are sleeping in an unshielded room and an alarm goes off, um, but rather it was just a way of exploring his, well, no, any case. Here's where he does that is amazing case. There's a, there's a vendor selling water at 18, right, at, uh, let's say for our cases, right, at, uh, I think he does an 18 shekel, 18 shekel a bottle. And there's a guy who doesn't have 18 shekel, but he's really thirsty. And the vendor walks away to Dafminko. So the guy sees an opportunity, and he changes the price on the bottle to 20 shekel. And he stands there selling it. And after he sells nine bottles, he says, well, I got the guy an extra 18-inch color. So he takes a bottle and walks away. So now the question is, right, you know, is does the, does the owner get to, right, does, the, does, does he have to return the water? Does the owner have to, retu- does the owner have to return the, the extra money? Does he have to return the extra money? And he says, you know what, that looks to me very much like our case. And he tries to resolve right, to resolve this case on the basis of um, on the basis of our case, right? That he has he introduces complications, but hang on a sec, right here, there's no explicit agency at all. So there's no way of claiming claim, of claiming there's a contract at all between the right. And obviously, right, over this is like our case, right? Like uh, like like under like uh, under promising, overcharging is the same as under promising, um, right? So he right, so he makes the the case, right? So there's no there's no contract at all. So maybe nobody owes anything. But here's there are a lot of ways in which one can disagree with it in, uh, in, um, in detail. He also has an analogy to what happens if you, right, what happens if you rent a house from a real estate agent and it turns out not to be authorized to rent it and the owner didn't want to rent it at all. The answer is you owe nothing to anybody because the market value of a house is determined by, right, by, it, by whether the owner would rent it. Generally, halakhically, if you if you move in a house which the owner doesn't intend to rent, you don't owe them anything, even if it has a market, right? Because rent has a real estate has a specific market um, market market value, and so he ends up posking that the um, that the guy gets to keep the work. Um, but here's the thing that the thing that matters to me, right? Right, is that the whole the whole conversation about the responsibility of the shliach assumes that there is a perfect analogy between labor and all other markets. And we saw Rabbi Yonason O'Neill on Riff saying that no, right, that this is a unique market. So let's go back and take a look. Rabbi Yonason O'Neill on the Riff, which is the same, on the same page, I think, as the Riff I quoted. Um, is it? Yeah, right, it's the second thing on that page. Uh, page seven or nine, whichever you have it. Or eight, whatever the page, the page headed by Riff, Vav Nemerov. So Rabbi Yonason, 
took the position that labor markets are different because there is a presumptive economic gap between, right, between uh, employers and employees. And therefore, he said the duty of agents is limited in the case of that case in a way it would not be limited in other cases. Now, I don't know which way the economic thing plays out when you're talking about somebody setting, selling, uh, right, selling merchandise uh, you know, from a cart in a public place. It, right, if you ask me, like, which, which way does the economic disparity go if you're having a, you know, if you're talking about um, push cart vendors, you know, outside, right, in the, in the business, in the business, right, or, or people selling peeled oranges, right, you know, in, 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 on the highways near, uh, right, near business district, I don't know if anyone still does that, but I grew up watching height, that's a big thing, <laughs> uh, right, building, selling people selling peeled oranges during, uh, tra during traffic things, I assume that the people in the cars are rich, and the people in the push carts are poor. I also biased because one of the great books of all time is a book called The Pushcart War by Jane Merrill. Um, we can talk about it at other points, but one of the all-time greatest books, <laughs> uh, which um, explains that probably a lot of my economics sort of things is uh, is driven by that is driven by that book. Have you read it? All right, we'll have to try. You know, I'll tell public public reading it is. <laughs> it's a kids' book, but it's one of the you know, it's one of the great absolute great all-time books and explains economics in, uh, in very wonderfully powerful and evocative, evocative and easy to understand terms. Um, so, right, so it could be that the fundamental premise of those overseen is wrong, because he thinks that the sugya are transferable. Right? And that to me is like one, of, like one of the underlying things, right, that, we, that when we talk about the whole topic, we have to try and figure out, are we trying to regulate a market where we have a given, right, that it's one of the disparities on information asymmetry. Right, it's an economic power asymmetry. Right, so Rianus and Nicole says, yet yeah, labor is different. Right, and therefore, we can put all those visions together and say, therefore, in labor, the goal, right, in labor, the goal of an agent is to get the best deal for the employer within the market, but never to try to undercut the market. And maybe that's totally not true. Right? The, goal, the goal of an agent in, right, anywhere else is to move the market in the direction that favors your employer. Right, so right, so I want right, so I want to put Revelation out there so you can see, right, that there, there is a way of reading the sugya which right, which is compatible with other rishonim, not with the with all the other rishonim, which just says labor is just the market, that's all. And then right, say you know, but maybe this, maybe the is really what is really the right way to read the sugya, and we can't make any analogies at all. And then we have to think out, like, you know, so right. What if, right, you know, we can start tracing, what if there's a whole series, I don't think there is, what if there were a whole series of chivot that were built off Rav Zilberstein's premise? Would we have to reject all of those? Right? At what point does halacha get determined, right? If this is like a fulcrum point, at what point does halacha get determined that way? Does it, is it entirely determined that way, or can we say, you know what, look, we have to deal with precedent, but we think that fundamentally, all future cases should be judged according to Rabbi Yonasana Kohen Yilunil, so long as they can be compatible with precedent. All right, so I wanted to put that out as well. Okay, so next week we will um, we'll look at the Chizuk in a little bit more detail, not so much. Uh, what we'll do is we will uh, mostly, so we, we, we'll read the, the next page. After the next page is the, uh, after the stuff we did today, is the final Lukimta of the Gemara. And then right, the last page, the last page is the Tosefta and the Yerushalmi. What I want to do next week, and that I think we'll finish the packet because I'm not going to do it in great depth, 
is just ask, at the end of the day, is it obvious what Pshat Manishna is? And if it's obvious what Pshat Manishna is, what does that tell us about the purpose of the Sugi? Okay, right, that's why, that's why I want to finish this, and then we'll go, right, and then we'll, then we'll go back and look at the, um, at the Sugi different ways. Okay. Thank you, as always. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh,